Yes. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We are so grateful today to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Thank you for those of you that are that are logging into our various social media platforms and are joining us in our live service this morning here at Victory. We appreciate every one of you and all that you're doing to trust God and stand in agreement to make it through the circumstances that we're facing, not only in the Mid-South or in the U.S., but around the world. How many of you know that Jesus is still king? God is still on the throne. Come on. What a great... What a great choice of scripture Pastor Jeremy chose this morning. So grateful to hear that, that in the middle of all that we face, that God never abandons us. You know, we may go through some, through some struggles, but we, we may fall down, but we are not destroyed. Come on, say it. Tell somebody we are not destroyed. I guess I probably shouldn't do that. I need to break that habit during this season where you don't turn and talk to people. <laughs> all right, we are in a series. Uh, this is number six. In the Scent series, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ and the mission that we've been given. The church is the duly authorized kingdom representative sent on mission to the world. And the, there are characteristics that God has in the scripture of sent ones, people that are sent. We are not just talking about a special group of apostles or prophets or evangelists, or pastors, or teachers, but we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about ordinary folks, just like me and you, everyday people. Um, the, the, what happened in the book of Acts certainly did involve some special folk, and that is that they were in, in the flesh, in person, eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses to that resurrection now because he is alive in us. Our lives through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, through the demonstration of a transformation that's taken place, we can testify that God is real, that he's alive, that he's in us, and because of his grace, he has carried us and changed us and blessed us. Somebody say amen if you're grateful for that this morning. The, the text is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I've been using this one. It is the reiteration of the Great Commission that appears at the end of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it appears at the beginning of the book of Acts because it's the sequel to the Gospels. It is the continuation. The Gospels was about the life of the God-man, Jesus, and the 12 that he chose to mentor and send them apostles, apostello, which means sent one. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, but then Acts is the ongoing, it's the sequel of that. It's part two. It is the fact that it's not just for those 12, but it's for this body, this anointed group of people, this, these folks that are called the church, the ecclesia, that is they are called out to influence. That's me and you. Ecclesia is the word. Just to do a quick review. Paul and the writers of the New Testament used this word that was common during the New Testament period that specifically referred to a Roman ruling class of people in the Senate, representation of the people. Uh, there was a movement in classic culture and classic uh, government movement toward democracy. Certainly the roots of that were laid and influenced the founding of America. That was what happened in Greek culture and Roman culture and then certainly there were principles that were drawn from the Scripture, from the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. I'm going to just restrain and hold back because I want to chase a rabbit there, but not going to take time to do that because I want to stay to my notes. 
But today, the church is a ruling class of people, not by the way the world rules, because the kingdom of God is reciprocal. It's opposite. It's turned upside down. And if we're going to lead the world, we lead by serving. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must become the servant of all. Everybody say servant. Okay, and so this morning we see that God has empowered us according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It didn't say you will go witnessing. It says you will be. This is a 24-7, 365 proposition. It's something that you are, not something that you just do. I'm not doing away with what we do because there is a right time to open our mouths and bear witness to who we are. Really, the truth is to who he is. Somebody say amen. But the the issue is, is that we will be this. We will be, he says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you would bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you today for this opportunity together in the house of God with the people of God. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we are connected in this moment with the the Lord's people around the world, red and yellow, black and white, everyone precious in your sight. Thank you today, today, Lord, that you remind us of this larger vision that you have, that it's not just about us in this local spot and what we're doing here but it's our being connected to the vine of Christ. You are that vine, we are those branches, and we thank you that we bear fruit fitting for the kingdom of God. Let the words that I speak today, let the meditation of my heart today, let these be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength and my redeemer, and I acknowledge before you and everyone listening that I desperately need you, and I say, Jesus, help us by your Holy Spirit to hear, to have hearts that are open Lord, to be willing to to change in the areas that you challenge us to change in. It is only by your Holy Spirit that we can do anything. Because apart from you, we know that we are nothing. And we thank you that in Christ, that we can do everything you've called us to do and be. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. The one thing that I want to bring to you today, this is the recurring principle that I bring through my messages, so that if you don't get anything else, you get this. The one thing is... The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent, everybody say sent, and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. Now, if you can find one of the sides left or right and just look and read out loud with me, please, if you would. The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. Authority. One more time. Let's get it, okay? The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. Pastor, why do you do all the repetition? Well, because we don't get it the first time. And many times I uh, will actually read a scripture out loud and I'm walking in the neighborhood, I'm doing some exercise, I'm on the bike, uh, I'm at my desk in my office and I'll read it out loud just to hear myself, or I'll, I'll turn it on on you version and let whoever the, the reader is read it to me so I can hear it, because many times in that moment, a new light will come, illumination, illumination by the Holy Spirit will come, and I'll see something fresh or in a different perspective. 
And we, so we, that actually what we just did is the definition, the Bible definition of meditation. It means to mutter. So you say something over and over and it begins to become a part of you. Um, and so this morning, as we move into this quickly, I just want to remind you that the church is the sent people. We are called of God. As a matter of fact, if you can hear it, the church is the ongoing incarnation of Christ in the earth. Okay? I'm not Christ. You're not Christ. Now, we've been anointed with the Spirit of Christ, but together, all of us make up what's called the body of, say it, body of Christ. Okay? So we are one head, one body, many members. Jesus is the head. And their arms and legs and eyes and ears and, and toes and feet and all of us have a function. We are in a part. We have a purpose. We are called to something specifically. But the church of Jesus Christ, not just victory in the Mid-South, but the universal body of Christ all over the world is the ongoing incarnation. We have, we have Christ living in us as the hope of glory is what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. We don't do a lot of creeds here, although I have great respect for the liturgical um, branch of our family. Um, we, we do utilize what's called the Apostles' Creed with 12 statements uh, of truth that are irrefutable that we won't take time to argue about. But this morning, I want to read to you from the Nicene Creed. It's called the Nicene Creed because it was written at Nicaea, and it came with the declaration of something that I, bring, I believe will bring a point home today. Listen, it says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made and for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. That's a good point for an amen, if you would. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. Now, if you would put up that one line. Here we go. We believe in the one holy Catholic would you put the line up? Thank you, please. Uh, we believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Keep it up. I'm going to finish just three sentences left. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Now, creeds were used through the centuries and still for the purpose of affirming key truths of Scripture. As a matter of fact, the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which literally means I believe. Okay, And all of the creeds start with those two words. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, if you, if you know the Apostles' Creed. And they all pay attention to a section to the Father, a section to the Son, a section to the Holy Spirit, and then a brief statement about the church, the people of God. So when we get to this one in the Nicene, it says, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, some of you already have your bristles up 
because you're thinking that we're making a Catholic confession. This was before the, the Roman church really was established and, and really good in terms of being a denomination. Um, and when you see the word Catholic, unless it has a capital C followed or in front of, let me, let me get it correctly, that is preceded or proceeded by, I'm going to get it right in the first, uh, it's preceded by the word Roman. Unless you see Roman Catholic together, this word does not mean the denomination. Okay, the word Catholic, very simply, you can pull it up on Google right now. Go home and look in your old leather-bound paperback, whatever dictionary you kind of have. The word Catholic literally means universal, okay? So when we confess a, a scripture, when we confess a statement out of one of the ancient creeds, and we say we believe in one Catholic church, we're not saying we believe in the Roman Catholic church. We're saying we believe in the church universal. Are you following me? Okay, so everybody in the room believes in the universal church. But he goes on to say, we believe in one holy Catholic and what's the next one? Apostolic church. Now, this doesn't refer to the Pentecostal group that call themselves apostolics, okay? Uh, the oneness, uh, Jesus-only group. I, I, my heritage came from that, and I love them. I think they're a wonderful branch of the family of God. But that's not who this is referring to. The word apostolic is the Greek word apostello or apostolos, and one of them is a noun. The other one uh, is a verb. And as you look at this, they put that up, apostello. Guys, Follow my cues. Help me. We're, we're dragging this morning. Apostello is sent one. Everybody say sent one. Okay. So this is what we're talking about. The apostles were those that were authorized, sent as representatives of Jesus Christ. But now uh, it's not just about a person or a personality, but we, the church of the living God, the universal and the local church, are now apostello. We are sent. We are one apostolic church. Somebody say amen. Okay, so just drilling this into you by this whole concept of sent is not something new. This has been in church history. This has been uh, in, in across the denominations. People have embraced this idea that it's not just about choosing a missionary and a team and sending them to the other side of the world and supporting them with money and prayer, but it's about recognizing that right where you live, God has you there for a purpose because we are sent by God to this community. I, some of you think, well, I'm not sent anywhere. I'm, I'm a truck driver. I'm not sent anywhere. I'm a local school teacher. Yes, you're sent to that classroom. You're sent to those students. Sir, you're sent to the road. Remember, you're representing Jesus. Somebody say amen. All right, quickly, first point. There are things that sent ones need to have operating in our lives. The first one is, everybody say faithfulness. Faithfulness. Look at this, Acts chapter 13 Verses 1 through 3, the scripture says, Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Simeon called the black man. Now, right there at one of the happening first churches, they had a leader uh, that was in, in, in influential position and was an African believer. Okay? So just want you to see, this is not something that we are out of a constraint of a popular uh, current day civil rights movement trying to do something. This has been a part of the church from its foundation. Come on, it's always been red and yellow, black and white. And somewhere folk, 
Somewhere folk let the stupid ideas of prejudice and racism and bias slide into their thinking and into their heart. And Pastor Jeremy prayed it this morning. You can legislate and write all the laws you want to, but there is nothing on the planet that will deal and change the heart of a person who's prejudiced toward a brother or sister based on anything except for the gospel. It's going to take the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So we've got Barnabas, we've got Simeon called the black man, and Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. Everybody say Saul. Okay, we know him. He's had a Damascus Road experience. He held the coats while Stephen was stoned. Verse 2, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and what? sent them on their way. Now, you remember the story. Saul has a dramatic experience. He's blind for three days. Agabus lays his hands upon him. All of a sudden, Paul, uh, Saul has new sight. He's proclaiming now the one that he's fought for these years, and he begins to become a a representative, a, a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who he tried to vilify and tried to destroy the movement that had become known as the way. And so the scripture says Barnabas, in a previous, we actually read it last week, Barnabas went down to Tarsus to find Saul, brought him back with him, and Barnabas built into Saul's life for over a year. The scripture says they stayed there in that local church proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he was mentoring Saul. He was building into him. Now, what I want you to see this morning is that everybody needs a Barnabas in your life. Everybody needs a son of encouragement speaking into your life to draw out the gift of God and to, to gently make some, in, some uh, challenges in some areas where we need to sort of let the sandpaper of the Holy Spirit rough all, uh, wear down some rough edges maybe of our personality. Let the Spirit of God get in and bring some healing to some broken areas of, uh, of thinking or addictive patterns of behavior. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Don't turn to your neighbor, but just... Look at me and just say it. Everybody needs a Barnabas. We all need a son of encouragement. Can you imagine what Saul would have been like had Barnabas not spoken into his life? It's amazing sometimes young folk come to Christ and they're all ready to go into ministry. And, and you know something? You need to be a vocal witness of Christ. But the best thing you can do is sit down and be mentored. Sit down and be trained. Let me use the Bible word. To be discipled. Jesus did it. Jesus did it and the disciples watched. The disciples did it and Jesus watched. Then the disciples did it. That's the pattern of biblical mentoring. That is discipleship. It is Moses to Joshua. It is Elijah to Elisha. It is Paul to Timothy. It is Jesus to the 12 disciples. It is multiplied examples in the word of the best way we can advance the kingdom of God is to sit down and do life with a brother or sister, the same one, for a few months at a time and build into them. Be a Barnabas. Be a son of encouragement to our brothers and sisters. It's not enough just to get people to come forward and sign a card and to get wet in the waters of baptism. We need to help raise those babies in Christ so they can become mature believers and disciples for Jesus Christ. If you believe what I'm saying, say amen. All right. Now, think about this. If Barnabas hadn't done that, 
And the faithfulness that they demonstrated, they sat there for a year in the same spot, and it was built into him. And my my principle is this. Local faithfulness produces global opportunities. Be faithful where you are. Uh, You know, some of you are thinking, man, I just have dreams about starting my own business. Well, are you doing a good job for the one you're working for right now? Because what you don't realize is that is the current platform of preparation God is using to get you ready for the destiny to which he has called you. And if you can't be faithful where you are, what makes you think you're going to be faithful when all of the power to make the decisions is put into your hands? Come on, let's get real. It's amazing to me sometimes, the folk who think, you know what, if I just could win the lottery, I would tithe and pay off the church. And my question is, okay, do you tithe right now? Do you give right now? Because if you don't give right now, it's going to be crazy pressure on you when you start talking about winning $389 million. Okay, I'm I'm waiting on that $38.9 million check. Are y'all hearing me this morning? You know, if if you can't be faithful with $1 and give the 10 cents, what makes you think you're going to be faithful with 10 million to give a million? Come on, somebody. Because when the numbers get bigger and the margins increase, the pressure increases, and if you don't have that established, the scripture says, if you'll be faithful in little things, then I will make you ruler over much. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't hate the job you're on right now. Be the best you can be at that and then let God bring promotion to you. Local faithfulness produces global opportunities. As you begin to read this, the scripture says they prayed and fasted and they realized that it was time now. These guys need to be sent out from here because they've proven themselves. They've been discipled. They've they've been anointed. They've got fruit that proves the words that they're declaring. All right. The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. Point number two. Point number two is the issue of submission. This is something we don't like as Americans. Uh, The scripture says in Acts chapter 13, verse 4, and Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Look at this. In 13, 4, the scripture says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. But now look at 14, 1. Look at what happens here. It says, The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Now, something happened between Acts 13 and Acts 14. First of all, it's not the next day. There's a protracted period of time. That's the thing that you have to remember. When you're reading the Bible, the next chapter doesn't mean it's the next event the next day. Sometimes there's 40 years between Moses being called and there are only two chapters and then he gets sent back to Egypt to be the the deliverer, the prophet of God with the voice of God. And so you have to recognize that there's been a period of time that, that, that some experiences have taken place. Some struggles have, have, have begun to prove the life and ministry. And God changes Saul's name, which means demanded, to Paul, which means restrained or little one. And so when, when we come through the school of the Spirit, God is all about dealing with some things in our lives that need to be brought into balance. And Saul, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, he has multiple degrees. He's a PhD level dude. He's a university professor level dude in the law of God. He is a Hebrew of the Hebrews, born on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives his his pedigree in Philippians chapter three and he basically says, you know what? I realize now that I count all of that as but dung, which is a nice Bible word for you know what. I count all that as dung 
for the cause of Christ. In other words, it was good fertilizer. I'm thankful that it has its place, but it's not what men always make it out to be. And this guy who was extremely educated and who was sharp and articulate submitted himself to a big old country dude, a big old Barnabas who was as big as his name is, a Barnabas, probably looked like me, big old Barnabas dude who was just an encourager. And Saul submits. He is willing to be retrained I mean, the hardest thing for you to learn is something you think you already know better than everybody else. One of the greatest things you can do in the kingdom of God is willingly say, God, I choose to submit. Jesus, who is the very son of God, God of very God, man of very man, walks down to the Jordan River and John, his cousin, John the Baptist, has the ability to recognize that there's something on him that's different. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist says, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, 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 allow this thing to be so to fulfill righteousness. And the greater submitted to the lesser. Listen, you may be sitting here this morning with a calling and a destiny that's worldwide, that's way bigger than this vision right here. But don't forsake faithfulness in the vision where you are, on the job where you are, in the school where you are, in the lessons you need to be doing. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but my son, the very first year after he was out of school, he had the attitude, I'm a college graduate. I, I shouldn't be working at a, at a local landscape place. And, and if I took, told the whole story, it'd take me 10 minutes. But the bottom line is he called me at the end of the summer after he'd gotten uh, a, a first, a second, and a third interview. And he said, Dad, if I had not submitted to that job and spent the time with those migrant Mexican workers and learned street Spanish, he said, I would have not got, gotten this great job that I got because the third interview was all conducted in Spanish and it wasn't classroom Spanish, it was street Spanish. Because the people in transportation and trucking that I'm going to have to be communicating with aren't speaking classroom Spanish. He, and he called me and he says, you know what, Dad, you were right. He said, every morning when you, 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 you said, got to get up, son, come on, don't quit. Trust God, work hard, never quit. That's our family motto has been for three generations. Trust God, work hard, never quit. He said, I, I did not have the ability to see in the middle of the struggle that I was in, that the end of it, that God was using that to teach me and prepare me for my next step. And he got the job because he was submitted. Forgive me for, for keeping and messing with this thing, but I didn't set my screen to not turn off. I always do when I'm preaching and I don't want to take the time to stop and do it. And if I go, I have to go back and reset it again. But look at this. The scripture uses this principle and that is the importance of those listed always comes in the order of the one who's most important. Okay. Barnabas and Saul. But it changed when God promoted Paul and Paul's not writing this. Luke, the doctor, is writing the, the book of Acts. From this point on, there's only one more time where you will actually see the phrase Barnabas and Paul. But from then on, it all becomes Paul and somebody else. Because Paul becomes this chief apostle. He becomes very significant in the kingdom of God. Writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Using all of the training and the law of God and the Old Testament covenantal understanding. And he now... Uh, extrapolates that into this whole new covenant and he establishes us for us the doctrine of the New Testament church. 
Paul is powerful. He's critical. He's, he, he's a chief apostle that God uses to advance the cause of the kingdom of God. And from that point on, it was no longer Barnabas and Saul, but it became Paul and Barnabas. Read the book of Acts and check me out. I'm not making this stuff up. Promotion follows preparation. You won't get the promotion you're asking God for until you're willing to submit to the person who's writing your check right now and do it with a good heart and a right attitude. And when you can do that, God will advance you. He will promote you. He will bless you. If you be faithful, he might even give you your own business. Come on, somebody say amen. Before honorous humility, Proverbs 15, 33 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of instruction, but humility precedes honor. Before honor comes humility is the way the King James says it. The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. One last one. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, faithfulness. Secondly, this morning is submission. Lastly, this morning is flexibility. Everybody say flexibility. Pastor Haley says it this way. There's only nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There should be 10. The 10th one should be flexibility. You know, you know the, I, I believe it's the, the Haley Vest Bryant translation says, blessed are those who are flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. How <laughs> I many hear that? We need to be flexible. My goodness, are we, are we being challenged with some flexibility in the middle of the crisis that we're facing? Now, chapter 15 of Acts is, I mean, it's, it's a series in itself. So when I say flyover, we're barely touching it. They have a council because Judaizers or a group of Pharisees who have now believed in Jesus Christ as King and God and Savior and Lord are now saying that all these Gentiles are coming in. We're excited that you're here. But if you're actually going to be a real spirit-filled Christian in the new covenant, you've got to get circumcised first. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. That now has been transformed and changed into the sign of the covenant in the New Testament is water baptism. And Colossians says that that is the circumcision of the heart. It's no longer a cutting away of natural flesh, but it's a cutting away of an old nature in the heart of man. When we are water baptized and we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying that I turn my back on my past, I bury the old man, and I'm raised up in newness of life to walk in that new life in Jesus Christ. So the, the sign or the symbol of the covenant is no longer uh, the flesh being cut but it's now a, the, the, the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord over my life publicly and I symbolize it by, by actually identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ through water baptism. And so we've got all these folks that are, that are coming to the church and they're stirring up confusion and they're stirring up trouble and everybody's getting upset and so they call a council. The, the council of Nicaea is not a new thing. This actually began in in the New Testament church in the book of Acts and Peter speaks his peace and Paul speaks his peace and James, the Lord's brother, stands up and he says this. He says, and so my judgment is, verse 19 of Acts 15, so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, 
from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. And so don't participate in a cultural thing that you know is, is spitting in the face of God the Father and God the Son is, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, we're not going to add all these, sin, these, these laws. We're not going to add the 613 commandments found in the Old Testament and tell people that they, they're going to have to get circumcised before they can become a really full-fledged believer. And guys, some of you are going, well, okay, why are you taking the time to tell us all this? Let me tell you what we've done in the South, in churchianity, in, in fundamentalism, in, in fundamentalistic Christianity. We, we tell everybody all the time, oh, you know, come to Jesus, it's free, but you've got to clean up all that other stuff first. You've got to quit this and quit that. And the fact of the matter is, is that salvation, folk, is a free gift, you don't have to be circumcised before you get it. You don't have to work this or work that. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift, everybody say gift. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. I can't boast and say, look what I did to get what I got. The fact of the matter is, it's look what Jesus did to give me what he got for me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Grace is his unmerited favor. And it says, For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Now, this was hard for these folks to receive. My, my little point here is this. Change requires an open mind and a willing heart. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you in the struggle that we faced and how we do church here lately. We've had to be flexible. We've, we've had to lay down the way we do things. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a handshaker and a hugger, and I was standing there at the door, and man, I was, I was like elbow out like this, just trying to get a little touch. I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just needy like that. I don't know, but I just, I just want to grab you and hug you. I just want to shake your hands, brothers, and just want to, just say, man, how you doing? I'm so amazing to be able to see you. And, but we've had to be flexible. I, I long for the day when, when all of that is no longer an issue. And we don't have to come with a facial covering into the, into the room in the house of the Lord. We don't have to socially distance. But right now we have to be flexible. You know, the things that they were wrestling with were of far greater import than what we're having to be flexible about. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we're really going to be sent ones, we're going to have to be faithful in the area that God has called us. We're going to have to be willing to submit to the ones that God has put in our lives to encourage us and challenge us. A Barnabas is for every one of us. And lastly, this morning, I challenge you to please be flexible. Please be flexible. I, it, just, it, it just wears me out sometimes, the folk that get on social media and just all time complaining about everything, whining about everything. And I'm going, come on, you don't have a clue what we're dealing with here. And, and I do not in any way want to minimize the deaths that have taken place. It's real. It's legit. It's something to be concerned about. Yes, we trust God, but also I want you to be smart. The, the governor has issued a mandate that begins tomorrow that you, you're going to have to wear a mask in Arkansas. P put aside this political nonsense. Come on, folks, this is just common sense. 
you know, it, it, it's crazy. You put on a seatbelt and the government makes you do that. Oh, no, this is just some kind of big conspiracy level thing, a high level deep state government thing that's going on and they're trying to control us. Now, wait just a minute. You've already been given a number that nobody else has. They know where you live and they make you pay taxes on the property you owe. And you're telling me wearing a mask is the thing that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Y'all, don't shout me down here. And you know what? If you have great deep convictions about that, that's great. I understand that. I bless you. But when we're together, just for the sake of honoring your other brothers and sisters, because the fact of the matter is we, none of us in the room knows whether we're asymptomatic carrying this thing or not. I long for the day when they say we've had the last case. I read in history in Marseille, France, where they had the very last case of the Black Plague. It was in the early 1700s. I, I long to see it written down in history book that in April the 4th of 2021, the last case of COVID-19 was destroyed. I long for that. I long for that. But until then, I've got to be flexible. I long to see Jesus. I long to see him come. And I long to put on a, a, a new immortal body that doesn't have aches and pains and struggles and, and, and issues that are changing. But until, until that, I've got to be faithful with what I've got. Come on, somebody. Be flexible. Be faithful. Be submitted to the things of the kingdom of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a hair over, but I just want to wrap this up. Did you get anything out of this today? Forgive me for all this sliding back and forth here on this thing. The church is God's people equipped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God and sent to the world with God's delegated authority. We are his representatives. We carry his voice. We are his hands. We are his feet. This morning... There's no possibility that I can do anything that he's called me to do until I first submit my heart and my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What were we saying about that council in Jerusalem? Folk are arguing over, you got to do this to be saved. You know what, folk? Re rem remember that it is the gift of God. It begins by acknowledging that all of us have a need. I have a need. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And only Jesus can fix that. And so this morning, as we close this service, if you're listening online, uh, you don't have to be in a church to pray. You can be driving in your car. You can be sitting in your den. You can be lying in the bed, watching this on your iPhone or seeing it on a computer. I just want you to know that right where you are, God knows your geographical location. He knows your time and space where you're located. And this word is timeless and it's Spaceless. There are no limitations on it. The gospel and the gift of God is extended to every person. It goes out to cover all of humanity. Jesus is called the Savior of the world. This morning, it's not just about being saved so I can get a home in heaven, but it's about being saved so I can walk in a relationship with the God who's crazy about me. And most folk in the Bible Belt South have been told all our lives that he's an angry God who's ready to just beat them up at the first little slip they have. And folk, that's a lie. It's a mythological creation. That's Zeus. That's not our heavenly father. Come on, somebody. Our God is a, is a holy God, yes, but he's a God of love. And he sent Jesus so that we could know him in a personal and a living kind of way. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this room, I just want to say to you right now in this moment, there's nothing you have to do to work or earn or deserve this, but simply reach out in faith and take hold of the gift of God. 
It's a grace gift, and you receive it by faith, by trusting him. So this morning, if you're ready to pray that prayer and you've never crossed that line of faith, or maybe today you just need some encouragement and a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in your own life, whatever it is, if you'll just lift up and pray these words with me right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say, pray this with me. Father, thank you for this word. I receive it today. I put my trust in you. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Forgive my sins. I turn from my past and I turn to you in faith. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Be Lord of my life and I'll serve you in Jesus' mighty name. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen.